Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to the book of 1 John. We're going to be right at the end of 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24 of 1 John chapter 3. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, you can take the Pew Bible in front of you and you can open up to page 1400 and you'll be able to follow along there. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. And as you're opening up there, let me just again say how grateful I am to our amazing staff and volunteers and all the hard work they put into Vacation Bible School, which we've just gotten done with, and then also to uh, McSpadden and all the other things, camps and all the things that happen here in the summer to help us disciple uh, young people. There are so many people who are putting in a lot of hard work and effort. So uh, if you see somebody dozing off this morning, just assume they were a VBS volunteer, okay? And uh, they have every right to nod off. First John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. When you're open there, why don't you go ahead and now stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us, beginning in verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray together. Oh God, I pray even now that you would open our hearts, open our minds to receive your word and God ultimately to be changed by it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but whether it's in the movies or whether it's in literature, I'm a sucker for a really good courtroom scene. Whether it's the Brothers Karamazov or A Few Good Men, we are drawn to courtroom dramas. I am oftentimes jealous of people who are in the legal profession. It's very rare that you're in a book and you're like, man, what a great sermon scene that was. It's really unbelievable to see. Of course, the best, in my opinion at least, and at least the most famous, especially to those of us here in Alabama, is the book and later movie, To Kill a Mockingbird, written by Harper Lee. One of my favorite books and and a very formative book for me in many ways. Several years ago, we got to take our children uh, with us. I'd been before, but we got to go down to uh, Monroeville and go in the Monroe County Courthouse and teach them a little bit about the history of our state and then, of course, To Kill a Mockingbird as well. But the end of his famous defense of Tom Robinson, listen to what Atticus Finch said. And just think through how moving this thought is. Now, gentlemen, in this country, our courts are the great levelers. Atticus is reminding these, this jury of this because the court case that he's dealing with involves a black man who was certainly being mistreated. It was a, a total abdication of justice. In our courts, Finch goes on to say, all men are created equal. 
Now I am confident that you gentlemen will review without passion the evidence that you have heard, come to a decision and restore this man to his family. In the name of God, do your duty. In the name of God, believe Tom Robinson. I won't tell you how the book ends, just in case you haven't read it, but let me encourage you to do so. All that being said, as we look at this passage this morning, we are invited, as John Stott said, into a courtroom scene, a captivating and compelling courtroom scene. There you are, the defendant, sitting before the judge, God himself, and we look over to see who the accuser is, who the prosecutor is, and believe it or not, it's your own conscience, it's your heart. Stott illustrates this passage this way. He says, this is a great courtroom that we're in here. And what is at stake there where you are the defendant and your heart or conscience is accusing you and God is the judge? Ultimately, what is at stake is the assurance of our salvation. All of us at one point or another has been in the courtroom on these charges. All of us have been there. Here's the reality, though. Maybe assurance is more difficult for some of you than it is for others. Uh, Some some people come down front, pray to receive Jesus, and they never have another doubt the rest of their life about whether they're a Christian. Other people wrestle with it for years and years and years. Some of us have been exposed to a culture that makes assurance hard to come by. Some of you might still have, do you know that you know that you know that you know that you know, ringing in your ears even this morning. For some of you, it might even sort of be uh, frustrating or or nerve-wracking a little bit to come to church on a day when we're preaching on assurance because you're afraid that you're going to almost be forced into making another decision for the umpteenth time. At some point or another, we've all heard, do you know that you know that you know that you know that you know? Preachers love to, and rightfully so, understandably so, make sure that we really really know that we are saved but what we have to be careful of and what i have to be careful of and as we read the scriptures what we have to be careful of is that our preaching and teaching on assurance doesn't do more to encourage doubt than it does to assure our hearts to be so careful to be so thoughtful and so this morning what i want to do today is to show you three truths that god wants you to know from his word that will help assure a troubled heart Three truths, for those of you who are believers in the room, three truths that will help quiet the accusations of your heart. And for those of you that doubt, for those of you that struggle with assurance, I think we can authentically look at these things and it will help you as you evaluate your own heart and your own life. Know for sure to be able to get some assurance on whether or not you are a believer. Three truths this morning to help grow your assurance and peace as you walk with Christ. Here's the first. Be assured. Be assured that God is greater than your heart. Be assured that God is greater than your heart. By this, John says, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. Does your heart ever need reassured? in the Lord. I'll tell you, I'm a pastor 
uh, I, I spend time studying the Bible every day, preparing to preach and teach and studying on my own. And my whole life, obviously, is dedicated uh, to the service of the Lord. And even then, there are days when my heart needs reassured. And you say, well, right, of course, you need to be reassured in your calling or you need to be reassured that you're doing... No, there are days when my heart needs reassured that I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. It happens to everyone at one point or another. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, it seems clear to me that John understands what I'm saying, or at least maybe, maybe I should rephrase that. I think I'm reflecting what John's saying. Whenever our hearts condemn us. Now consider this for a moment. Anytime you find yourself back in this courtroom with your heart condemning you, John is saying that will happen. He's anticipating that being the case. Whenever this happens, he's not acting like it's a strange thing. He's not singling you out. I don't know if you've ever been in a Bible study or something like that. And somebody said something like, uh, or you said something like, man, sometimes I wonder whether or not I'm truly saved. And everybody acted like you were crazy or something like that. This happens a lot because we believe uh, wholeheartedly that once you are a Christian, that God keeps you a Christian. But our hearts don't always get the memo, do they? don't always get the memo. It's not strange. It's not odd to have a moment when your heart condemns you, when you begin to need reassuring. This is something that's normal for Christians to experience. So what should we do? By this, he's referring backwards when he says by this, I think, back up to the love, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But he says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, what does John say? You need to really figure out what's going on in your heart. You need to spend six or seven hours being as introspective as possible. You need to look in the mirror for as long as you can and figure out why in the world is your heart condemning us. Is that what John's saying? You need to focus on yourself. You need to think about you. You need to think about me. You need to focus in and figure out what's going on. You need to be more introspective. That's not what John says at all. What does he say? He says, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. He knows everything. We cannot be governed by the subjective. I think this is one of the great challenges many of us have in our society is that we want to be governed by the subjective. We live under the tyranny of how we feel. However, however we feel is what we are. Is one of the great lies that our culture believes and that many of us believe, that I often believe. How I feel is what I am. Oh, friends, you don't have to live under that tyranny. It's presented and paraded around like it's freedom, but it's not truly free to just live only by how you feel. What is John saying? When you feel condemned, when your heart seems to be condemning you, what you need a good dose of is not the subjective. You need a good dose of the objective reality of who God is. And when you start to think about this, God is greater than your heart and He knows everything. Some of you may be confused about how you feel. God knows everything everything. Some of you may wonder how God could love you. He must not know this about me. God is greater than your heart and He knows everything. 
But my heart is so heavy, Pastor. God is greater than our heart. But you don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that are on my conscience. God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. But I feel like a terrible person. God is greater than our heart. I ask you this question. Are you looking to Jesus today? If your heart condemns you, I ask you a simple question. Are you looking to Jesus Are you trusting in Jesus today? Is your focus on what Christ has done for you? Have you ever considered this reality? What is the great... I I talked to all of our VBS kids this week and I said, children, did you know that that God loves you? Did you know that God loves you? And you know what they all said? Yes. I know that God loves me. I do. And I said, how do you know that God loves you? If you ever struggle to wonder whether or not God loves you, what should you remember? And almost always, it's one of the great joys I have of those who serve in our ministries here, of Lydia and others and the, and the parents in this church, the way they're teaching their children, they're rooting what they learn in the gospel. Because almost to a person, these children would say to me, because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Some of your hearts may need reassured this morning. And you're wondering how in the world God could love you. God is greater than your hearts and He knows everything. And if you're wondering whether God loves you, if you're wondered, wondering whether you could be accepted by God, the way you know that God loves you is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Brothers and sisters, He knew everything about you. He knew the depths of the darkness inside you. He knew every sin you ever have or would commit and He went to the cross for you anyway. He knows everything. There's no sense in trying to hide. He already knows everything. There's no need to hide. He already knows everything. And He loves you anyway. Brothers and sisters, are you looking to Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus? Stop worrying so much about how you feel. Stop worrying so much about how things seem. Stop worrying about whether or not you're the best Christian you ought to be. If you trust Jesus... And your faith is fixed on Jesus. Remember this truth today. Jesus is good at His job. Jesus is good at His job. We have such good deacons. Every chairman of deacons I've had here has been a wonderful chairman of deacons. And they, they trust me to do my job. I don't know if you've ever been micromanaged at your job. But it's no fun to not be trusted if you're good at your job to do your job. Friends, Jesus is good at His job. He is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. He will keep you. He will hold you. If He has decided to save you by grace through faith, He has decided to save you by grace through faith. And no matter what your heart is trying to say, no matter how you may feel condemned, if your faith and trust is in Jesus, He is greater than your heart. Be assured. Be assured that God is greater than your heart. But second of all, be assured by remembering simple gospel truth. Be assured by remembering simple gospel truth. Notice what the Bible says. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Uh, Some of you may not be struggling with doubt this morning. 
Uh, some of you may not at least be struggling with a conscience that's speaking to you. Maybe you've not been in a particular season of sin. You're just not coming in here struggling, feeling like your heart is condemning you. It's good for all of us to remember it's normal for our hearts to condemn us, but it's no way to live. The normative Christian experience is to have confidence before God. But John goes on into verse 22. Notice what he says. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Oh boy, some of you might be saying. Here we go again. Every time I start to feel a sense of freedom in the grace of God, a, a sense that I don't have to worry about my performance, I just turned around to talk to the choir. And they weren't there. But this guy needs to hear the gospel. So it worked out okay. (laughs) I've seen him in the choir before. (laughs) Just kidding. Consider this. Oh boy. Here we go again. Here it is again. I knew it was coming. It's up to me to make sure God loves me. It's up to me to make sure God will hear me. It's up to me to make sure I have assurance in the gospel. You believe, some of you perhaps, believe wrongly, you've been taught wrongly, that having a perfect conscience, living in some sort of a perfect state of perfection is the only way that you can truly have assurance. Maybe you've grown up in a church that teaches you can lose your salvation, or, or maybe you've grown up in a, a, a fundamentalist situation that acts like unless you are living a perfect, squeaky clean life, that that means you're probably not a Christian. Perhaps you've been on the wrong end of that sort of spirit spiritual abuse at some point in your life and you're saying here it is here's the bible verse that confirms my worst fears about god but i I don't want you to stop at verse 22 because john defines what he's saying don't ever forget that the the bible has context we don't want to just rip this verse out and leave it where he is what does john say now notice really carefully i want you to follow this understanding of the bible with me And whatever we ask, we receive for Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. What is the commandment that we keep? How is it that we please God? It's by believing in His Son, Jesus Christ. This isn't tearing down that God receives you by grace through faith. This is building up the fact that God receives you by grace through faith. This is encouraging you in the reality that God receives you based on His love and His mercy and His grace, not based on your works or your performance. Believe in Jesus, John tells us, and the evidence of having believed in Jesus is the love you have For one another. This is what John is emphasizing. Loving God through faith in Christ and loving your neighbor through faith in Christ is the key to the sort of prayer life, the key to being heard by God and having the sort of prayer life that grants you assurance 
in your heart. That is, if you know Jesus, your prayers are heard. And if you trust Jesus, your heart is not condemned. And if you have faith in Jesus, you will have confidence before God. Or at the very least, you should have confidence before God. This morning, if you're struggling with assurance, if you're not at a place where your heart doesn't condemn you, don't sit here all morning and, and start going back through your mind and trying to think through, okay, have I crossed every T that I've come across? Have I, have I dotted every I? Have I, have I done all the different things? Maybe, maybe if, you know, the third time I was baptized, I don't remember whether or not the person who did it was ordained or not. So I'm sure if I ask Jesus into my heart again now and baptize again, I'll, I'll have dotted across every T and dotted every I and I'll finally have that assurance that I long for. Brothers and sisters, if that's where you're going for assurance, you'll never find it. Find it. I was baptized at youth camp in the Gulf of Mexico. You know, there's, there's no perfect way to do any of these things. It's not the point. The question is this, right now in this moment, this is where I send you to go. Not to whether or not you've done every little thing, crossed every single tiny Rubicon. I'm not saying those things don't matter at all, but I'm saying if you're struggling to find insur- assurance, you're not going to find it there. Here's where you're going to find it. In this very moment, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Christ right now for your salvation? At your core self, in who you are, where is your weight resting? Is it resting on your works? Is it resting on your abilities? Is it resting on the thought that I'm sure things will work out okay in the long run if I just keep trying? Or are you resting fully in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through His cross and through His resurrection? That's what I encourage you to do. Do you believe the simple truth of the gospel? When you're struggling with assurance, don't overcomplicate things. Just go back to vacation Bible school. Remember simple gospel truth. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones, little children, to Him belong. We are weak, but He is strong. It's not about man who wills, but it's about God who shows mercy, even to those whose hearts condemn them. Brothers and sisters, God is greater than your heart. We must remember simple gospel truth if we are to be assured. And finally, I hope you'll be assured by evidence of a changed life. Every Christian I know, every Christian I know, I have a hope for them that they will have genuine, Christ-bought, gospel-oriented, spirit-confirmed assurance. I don't want you to have to live in fear of whether or not you're saved all the time. I want everyone here to have genuine Christian assurance because they know Jesus and they trust in Jesus. But I want nobody here. I don't want one person here. I don't want one person whom God has called me to pastor or even to know to have false assurance. False assurance. And there is such a thing. 
There is a temptation even in churches that believe the gospel for there to be people who look back and say, I prayed a prayer and so therefore that means everything is settled as if praying a prayer is just some sort of ceremony we go through. As if being baptized is a ceremony we go through that leads us to genuinely have faith in Jesus. That is not the case. That does not settle everything. John could not be more clear. A life without fruit is not a Christian life. If you trust Jesus, you have nothing to fear. But brothers and sisters, if you do not trust Jesus, a good bet, almost a definite sign is, if you do not trust Jesus, you will have a fruitless life in the ways that matter most. A person who is not bearing fruit, John tells us here, does not abide in God. And so here in this courtroom, John calls three witnesses to testify to the judge, to God, and to the person, yourself, whether or not you truly know Jesus. These three witnesses that John calls to the stand to help us determine whether or not we truly have faith in Christ are love, righteousness, and the Holy Spirit. Again, not overly complicated, not anything that's meant to scare us, but just the reality he, he begins by talking about the love that we ought to have for one another. It says, we love one another at the end of verse 23, just as He commanded us. I ask you this question. As you evaluate your assurance, do you have a loveless heart? Is your heart hardened toward others? Or do you authentically, have you seen yourself growing in love toward other people? If you see that love, there's a sure sign, a good sign that the faith that you put in Jesus is authentic. But if you find yourself growing less loving, more hardened, more callous, more hateful, can the love of God be in a heart that's fixed on nothing but hate? I don't see how it's possible. A salty stream cannot put forth clean water. Second of all, do you keep His commandments? Do you keep His commandments? Now, I'm not asking if you keep His commandments perfectly. I... I don't have time to go into all of this today, but you know me well enough to know. You've heard my preaching enough. And if you're just here today, trust me to say, we don't think that every Christian perfectly obeys the commandments of God. But here's the question. Are you growing in holiness? Do you have a desire to grow in righteousness? Our women went through a Bible study with, uh, by a woman named Jen Wilkin earlier this year. And my wife gave me this quote from her that I thought was wonderful. Jen says this, as she's teaching on First John, we never stop wrestling with sin, but we just get better at the fighting. We become slower to repeat and quicker to repent. In the course of your life, have you gotten better at the fighting? <laughs> have you gotten slower to repeat and quicker to repent? And then finally, John says, the presence of the Spirit is a mark of the Christian. How do we know if we have the Holy Spirit? Paul tells us in the book of Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
Self-control. Is your life exhibiting these fruits? Not only are you putting off evil deeds, but are you putting on good deeds? Do you have the chief virtue of the Christian life? Do you love other people? Are you growing, at least to some degree, in holiness and righteousness and putting off wickedness? And in the meantime, do you show evidence that you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit by putting on the righteousness that can come only from Him? Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Brothers and sisters, these witnesses are called not to help encourage you in condemnation, but to help encourage you in assurance. But the reality is, if none of this fruit is in your life, oh, today, 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 today. If you turn to Jesus in faith, you will be saved. Perhaps there are some of you here today for whom the condemnation of your heart is accurate. As you hear this sermon, as you hear the word preached, you realize, I don't know Jesus. I don't trust Jesus today. I've known for a while, or I just discovered it today, but I need to put my faith in Christ. What prevents you from being saved? It's not because God has not provided. Oh, there's ample provision in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ for you to be saved. It's not because God is not willing. He is. In fact, He is so willing. His arms are open wide, waiting for you to turn from your sins and turn from Him. What will you say to your heart? Say to your heart, even now, I have found the way. I have found the truth. I encourage you right now, step into eternal life today. But to those of you who do trust Jesus, what will you say to your heart? The witnesses have spoken. The judge has spoken. What will your answer be? Will you be assured that God is greater than your heart? Will you remember the simple truth of the gospel? Will you see and believe that it is God, the indwelling of His Holy Spirit, that is at work in your life? You can be sure, not based on who you are and what you've done, but you can be sure based on what God has done that you belong to Him. I don't know, you might say, Pastor, I don't know. But what you can know is you can know whom you have believed and be persuaded that He is able to keep that which you commit to Him until the very day when He comes back and reveals and makes all things new. You can know that you are of the truth. You can have your heart reassured before God. In the name of God, believe what God has said. This morning, I want you to respond to the Lord. Perhaps in faith for the first time. Perhaps as a Christian continuing in faith, but in a more profound moment of obedience. Or perhaps your response to the Lord is that He's calling you to join with this body of believers. What a joy it would be for me to talk to you about any of these things. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.